Kenshian Cast, the world's number one cycling anime podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. That's me. Hey, welcome back this week, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. I guess as you alluded to, we do have a special surprise this week, uh, which is the glorious return of Long Riders. Yep, that is right. Now, normally, like, as per any other week, we are covering, uh, it's the sixth week of the winter season, so we are technically covering all sports anime from the 5th to the 11th of February. We are making one exception here. So, we discovered that Long Riders actually had two episodes air this week. Uh, we are only going to be covering episode 11. Right. Because we just want to take it... One at a time, you know, we felt like we'd be rushing it if we were to do both <laughs> at the same time. There's so much to get into with each episode. We didn't want to waste it. Um, so right. next so next week we'll go uh, through the 12th and final episode of Long Riders, um, and hopefully we'll be posting a series review shortly thereafter. Correct, yes. And because, you know, we've done the we've done the double episode before where we've had to cover two episodes, and we just, we weren't super thrilled with how they turned out, so... We just thought we would uh, kind of leave the discussion as is. So, anyway, uh, Matt, do we have any iTunes reviews this week? Uh, we don't have any new ones now, so okay. but they're, they're always welcome. So if you want to post, we'll read them. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, why don't we just uh, jump right into Yamamushi Pedal this week? All right, take it uh, away. Okay, so we are on episode five. Uh, this week is largely about uh, Naruko. We kind of have at the beginning of the episode... Uh, we have the resolution to that discussion that Naruko and Amaizumi has. What we discover is Amaizumi Naruko, uh, wants Naruko to give up being a sprinter and wants him to become more of an all-rounder like him to help support the team because they're kind of behind on having decent members or like having like really talented members. And uh, also they have a new member who's joining who is uh, Teruteru's little brother. Or just Teru's little brother, sorry. His name is uh, Satotoki. Right. And uh, inverse to Teru, he is a uh, he is gigantic. Mm -hmm. And But his whole specialty is that he can copy writing styles. There's this whole conflict about a Maizumi kind of not liking him at first. And then, uh, uh, but Teshima kind of trying to give the guy a little bit more of a chance. Uh, and then the rest of the episode follows uh, Naruko kind of on a soul-searching journey back home where he, because he wants to figure out whether or not he really wants to drop uh, being a sprinter. Because, well, he didn't like Amaizumi's suggestion at first, you know, he wants to consider what's best for the team. And so while he's there, he starts riding around his old track and a bunch of people start recognizing him as being, you know, one of the uh, Sohoku's... Uh, you know, big members, you know, they're, they're talented young sprinter, and they all start challenging him to matches, and he keeps beating them. At the very end, very end of the episode, we discover that uh, Midosuji is actually there, and he wants to race Naruko as well. And uh, we, Naruko proclaims that if he loses this race, he's going to give up on bring, being a sprinter. Yeah. Uh, so, what were your thoughts on this episode, Matt? Um... I thought it, it sort of, this felt like one where it moved the plot along, but it wasn't necessarily my favorite in terms of its content or its, ex right. you know, um, yeah, might... no, I, I know I was just going to say, I feel you. 
Yeah, Imaizumi had to, I guess, as the the new ace of the team, he had to learn how he was going to recruit new members or attempt to recruit new members. And, you know, this is a way of showing, like, oh, he has to loosen up and he has to have more faith in people to learn and they don't have to be experts right away. Um, but it felt like that sort of got... It, it was easy to lose that with all the the weirdness of the way they characterize Satotoki. Yeah, and that's kind of the problem, is that, you know, if Satotoki ended up being, like, you know, a major member of the team, great, I would love to see that, you know, kind of be sort of uh, Imaizumi's eat crow moment, you know, where he has to learn, like, okay, I, I understand I have to do this for the team, but at the same time, you know, I do have to learn that I can't just be throwing people off to the side at, like after their very first attempt at trying to show me their use. Like, you know, it, it is about trying to trade, actually raise new members rather than just get whoever shows any sort of level of promise. And mm -hmm. that's fine. The problem is that Satotoki is clearly not going to be that important of a character, and that kind of undermines that message. Well, what, what, do, you, what do you mean when you say you know he's not going to be an important member? Well, because we've seen who the new member is, and it's not Satotoki, is it? Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and so and so because they're showing whoever this new character is, who I don't know the name of, like we know he, that guy has to end up being like the sixth member of the team because you know he's all over the promotional material. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of maybe Satotoki will end up being important, but again, you know, Teru himself is not really that important either. Not only that, I'm not entirely sure how much I buy being able to copy writing styles as being, like, a talent. Yeah, I mean, what did he do when they told him, okay, you need to you need to ride just like Onoda? Uh, he leaned forward and pedaled hard? You know, the, the, the it's the problem with Yawapeda throughout is there's... It's very difficult to depict new, like nuanced ways of writing differently, right. uh, because it all kind of looks the same. Yeah, and I think that also you bring up a good point, which I think is kind of what hurt the other plot of this uh, of this episode, which was the whole thing about Naruko. Because yeah. you know he like he has to like he feels like he has to just completely abandon. You know he has to start focusing on his. Uh, you know, on being, like, an all-rounder for the team, you know, give up sprinting. And yeah. I guess I kind of just don't understand why. Well, like, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the idea is that they're not just... It, it's more likely for them to add a sprinter than to add an all-rounder. So they right. need, you know, they need Naruko to be able to perform in that role if Imaizumi's not able to for whatever reason. Right. Which I guess I do kind of understand, but at the same time, it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't really understand the nuance between the, like, between climbing and sprinting. I mean, again, it kind of comes down to just pedaling really hard and trying as hard as you can. Well, I mean, that's the way it's depicted. It, it is it is a specialization, you know. Professional right. pro professional cyclists do specialize in those things, you know, one or the other. That's not, right. like, a random made-up thing. Right, no, and I understand that. I, I don't know if this show has done a decent enough job uh, depicting how that is different. Yeah. 
And I think that's kind of my problem. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know. the what, what did you think of all his uh, sprinting opponents? <laughs> okay, so I on one hand, I kind of love it as camp. On the other hand, it does get a little serious, uh, a little silly. Because, okay, so I, I know I had commented to you about this already. So we have one of the racers, for example, he, his name is, uh, or the nickname he goes by is, oh, I can't, the Winter, uh, Rocco's Winter Wind or something like that of the night. Yeah. Or it, it's something along those lines. It, but it's so ridiculously goofy and over the top. And admittedly, they do kind of joke about it a little bit. Because, you know, his special ability is that he turns on the LED on his uh, bike. And, you know, that's supposed to be his big his big technique. Matt, did, did you mean the Night Dragon of Rocco's Winter Winds? Yes, I am looking at that right now. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the Night Dragon of Rocco's Winter Winds. And I, I kind of feel like it was meant to be a joke. But it's kind of presented a little bit too seriously for me to really accept it as one. I mean, I, I think it's just illustrating, you know, insofar as there's any content in this portion, um, how the sprinters have their own style and they're all about flashiness and uh, declaring how elite they are and, you know, the dynamite hot shot of such and such a team, you know. Um and how that really appeals to Naruko because he enjoys being a dynamite hotshot. He doesn't want to just be an all-around racer. Um, so this is sort of validating, like, yes, this is what I enjoy. This is what I like. Um, I wonder, I have, I guess, two questions. One, um, what did you think of his reasoning where it seems like at first he goes in, he has that first race against, you know, the night, night dragon of the winter wind, whatever. Um, and he's like, <laughs> all right. This is how I'll decide. If I lose this match, then I'll uh, stop being a sprinter. But he wins. Uh, right. And then he's like, oh, I guess I should keep racing. And then he's like, all right, well, if I lose the next match, then I'll stop being a sprinter. Does it feel like a little bit like he doesn't actually want to be a... Like, he wants to be convinced that he should stop being a sprinter for the good of the team. But he wants, like, the universe to tell him to. Uh, he doesn't want to actually have to make that decision himself because he doesn't want to. Yeah, I, I think you pretty much just explained it right there. Though I do kind of feel like the reasoning seems a little weird, I guess. Just because... So if he keeps winning, that also shows that he has nothing more to gain by being a sprinter. You know, there's nothing really more he has to keep working towards. I guess to, outside of... Uh, Tadakoro. So I guess to me, I don't know, like, the logic doesn't feel, like, because I guess, I guess my issue is that you could write the scenario either way. What do you mean? Uh, well, just because, like, like, conversely, like, you know, if he, if he keeps winning these matches, all that's going to show is that he has nothing else to gain by being a sprinter. You know, he has nothing more to work towards because, you know, he's already the best. Yeah. And that's what would make more sense to me for, his, like, okay, so if he keeps winning these matches, then he should move on to being an all-rounder, because then he should know that he has nothing more to gain. And, I, and again, I guess I don't have an entire, like, I entirely have a problem with how they're trying to resolve that. 
but like by doing it so that he has to lose for him to kind of give up on his passion because then he knows that you know maybe he should quit trying to pursue this line i i don't know it's it's a little weird to me well what speaking of weird what did you think of suddenly midosuji okay i have a serious problem with that yeah yeah, just because, so he apparently, so Miyosuji happens to be there because he's bored, and yeah. he heard that Naruko was going to be there. How would he hear that? Yes, exactly. How would he know he was visiting, and why would he care? Did he and Naruko ever interact? I mean, not any more than he did with, any, you know, like... He, not to the degree he did with Amizumi or Onoda, certainly. Yeah, exactly. Like, or heck, I mean, honestly, he felt even more like a rival to Hakone than anybody else. I don't understand why he would suddenly be like, Ah, yes, the red bean sprout. I can't wait to go si- Like, I must go torment him now. Yeah, why? I better That's... go to Osaka to, you know, whatever. And not only that, but how do you, like, justify that? Yeah, um, I guess um, my other question with that is, so in the last season, it felt like, you know, there was some development with Midosuji where he sort of, he was shown the limits of his way of cycling, and the fact that, you know, his individualistic, like, sort of maniacal power struggle style uh, wouldn't end up working, and that he needed to be more of a team player or whatever, and so you'd accept, right. you'd expect some character growth, you know, his teeth shattered whatever um but he shows up here and it feels like the show's trying to be like ooh, he's back the villain um without acknowledging that he actually had character growth last season yeah and that's kind of the problem as well just on the basis that like he he's not really that threatening of a villain anymore he's already been like thwarted yeah and and it's like, I mean, I guess Naruko never up, went up against him, but at the same time, he didn't really need to. Naruko's big moment was against uh, Mr. Abs, who I and uh, and Tanakoro. You know, those were his big rivals. And then you know he had kind of his big moment being the climber d- during that one moment when they needed him. Yeah. So it's like he and Midosuji didn't really have anything going on. So there, there's not really... It kind of feels like they're trying to force some drama here, especially with this whole thing like, okay, if I lose this race, I'm never going to sprint again. How are you going to enforce that? Well, yeah, and why? But I don't know. Yeah. So it, it, it moved things along, I guess, and it created an emphasis that, you know, this team has to plan on how they're going to develop for the next inner high. Um but I don't know. I didn't think it took us anywhere that, that interesting. I am, I'll admit, like, even if I didn't like the setup, I'm looking forward to seeing Medosuji race again. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I mean, regardless, even if it's kind of silly, I mean, Medosuji has always been a pretty fun character. So it's hard for me to really complain too much about that. Even even if he's kind of being forced in, I he still is kind of... He's, he's always fun to watch. No, I agree. Um, so something else that's fun to watch is, uh, episode 17 of March comes in like a lion. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> there was, there was a lot of meat to this episode, but I'll, I'll hit some highlights. So, um, a lot, a lot of the setting is around the, uh, Lion King 
tournament. Um, <laughs> sorry, it just made me laugh because I thought of the movie. It's like, it doesn't seem weird when you see it on the screen. Oh, the Lion King tournament. And then you say it out loud and you're like, wait, it's just like the Anyway, um, I'll start <laughs> over. So, uh, Ray runs into his adoptive father, Coda, at this tournament. Um, you know, all the bigwigs of Shogi are there, of course. Nice. Uh, and it it's revealed that Ray has taken all basically all the income Ray's made. He's subtracted his living expenses, and then anything extra he had, he's just been putting in Coda's bank account. Um, and Coda says, you know, like, I don't know if you think you're trying to pay me back for taking care of you all those years, but you really don't have to do that. Um, and there, there's some some joking around with the, the chairman, and they're, everyone's very uncomfortable, but ultimately, Coda says that, you know, hey, I'll, I'll hold on to your winnings until you're uh, older, if that's what you want, but um, I don't want your money, basically. Um, uh, later, later on, Ray runs into Soya, uh, the champ of Japanese shogi, uh, and he, uh, basically they're standing next to a pond and Soya appears without Ray really noticing him sneaking up on him and they get caught in a rainstorm, uh, and then he leaves without saying anything and it's sort of a very confusing moment for him. Um, and, uh... Later on, Ray is accosted by Kyoko, who accuses him of betraying the secret that she's been sneaking off and not hanging out with him as much as she's been telling her father. They get in a fight, uh, and then she ends up staying over at his house anyway and eats all his food and assumes that the reason he's hanging out with the sisters so much is because he's interested in them on a sexual level. And... Uh, that pretty much uh, wrap, wraps up the episode where you, it's revealed that Nikaido is caught up to Rei and now they're the same rank in professional shogi. Right. Um, so it was a little bit all over the place. I think the, I mean, the main stream, I guess, for this was that uh, Rei had meaningful interactions with his the sort of the three most important uh people in his either in his family or in his competitive life uh which so he had a conversation with his father which he doesn't have very often um and he had talked to kyoko and he also saw soya again which he hadn't in years um what did what did you think about sort of the back and forth between ray and kyoko and koda i thought i I did think it was kind of funny that, as you kind of pointed out, you know, he kept pay, uh, he kept putting money into Coda's bank account because, like, out of almost some sort of like weird redemptive thing for him, like he felt like he couldn't, he didn't deserve the money. Right. I, I thought what was most interesting about the thing with Kyoko was that uh, it was the first time be- because the the sisters stumble upon him on the yeah. two of them fighting and i thought because that was the first time that the sisters had actually ever seen anything about ray's personal life oh that's true and because like you know normally he kind of he either like stops by or they kind of drag him to his to their place and you know they kind of want to 
you know, they kind of have their fun, you know, Ray's, you know, very pleasant, but, you know, he's kind of out of the way, and it's the first time that they've ever actually, like, see Ray, like, really emotional and being, like, really torn apart by somebody. And it kind of freaks them out a little bit. Well, yeah, particularly Momo and Hana, you know. Right. They're I mean, all they, thrown Akari off. generally kind of stays about the same, but, you know, kind of, like, she does kind of comment, like, yeah, I know, I don't like that other girl that he was talking with either, but... But yeah, like, it visibly shakes Momo, you know, being a little girl, you know, it's kind of like seeing, it's like seeing your parent upset for the very first time. Yeah. And um, then it... Go ahead. And then just with Hina, just because, like, you know, she's still kind of young and, you know, she still kind of has that view of Ray, you know, just being that kind of nice, pleasant guy who's around and, you know, doesn't he probably hasn't ever really thought of Ray having any more of a life outside of just playing Shogi and hanging out with them. Yeah. Did I, did I call Hina Hana again? Nah, it's fine. It happens. I think it's an easy mistake. I I, I keep I wanting to call Hina Momo, so you're fine. Yeah, I always do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think one one interesting thing with that whole interaction between him and Kyoko was that I mean, there's there's a lot of variability in I think how Kyoko is perceived. You know, right. so from episode to episode, it'll it fluctuates how old she's perceived to be. So in this one, she seemed a lot younger. She seemed like a much younger woman than she did previously. You know, she can sometimes seem like this very adult woman who's sort of, like, manipulative and villainous. Um, right. But in this episode, she seemed more like a, a rebellious teenager who was getting in a fight with her dad. Right. You know, so, like, the, the diff there's different levels on how, you know, her, her maturity, it never seems quite consistent, you know, based on her situation. Whether she feel when she feels in control, she can act and present herself like a strong, mature woman. But when she's not in control of her life, she kind of seems like a child. Right. And I, I think that's intentional for her character. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean... It's interesting that you bring up kind of her lack of maturity, though, because that was something I had noted, because when they get home and they're talking, uh, Kyoko assumes that Rei is going out with one of them, with one of the sisters, like, so because she asks her, asks him, so which one is it? Is it the older sister, or is it, is it like the housewife, or is it the, the that middle girl, school girl? Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because she can't, she's at that stage where she can't perceive relationships between a boy and a girl as being as being anything but sexual essentially yeah or being like based on romance or like i mean i say kind of sexual in her case because i think that's the way she sees it yeah like like these people do not care for ray like they sort of almost she sees like that lunchbox that hina gave ray as being just sort of almost this sort of this deal, like, okay, well, here's your food now, you'll take us out later, right? Or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was interesting to see from Kyoko's perspective, as that's the way it looks like to him. Or her, sorry. You Well, yeah, I mean, because that's certainly how her relationship, such as it is with Goto, is. Right. it's very transactional. Especially because she has that sort of weird father complex thing going on especially because you know concerning the fact that goto is basically her father's age like maybe a little younger but and the fact that she sort of connects ray to coda or to goto 
Well, no, know. yeah, Dakota. Uh, you know, it, it's it. She can't seem to separate that that yeah. sort of mentality. Yeah, and of course there was further evidence for the you know the relationship between her being with Goto and her relationship to her father. When you find out that Goto was a disciple of her father originally um so you know he's someone who was probably at least tangentially in her life even from a young age you know because if he was a training with her father a lot he would have he would have known at least who she was for a long time which is kind of like another level of creepiness on his part yeah, I was actually about to say, it's like, yeah, that makes him seem real, even, like, skeevier than he already has been. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, what did you think about the appearance of Soya, finally? Well, I didn't quite know how to take it, because the way he's presented, you know, he, and, and they commented on, on it in the, the episode, he didn't really seem presented as being terribly human. You know, right. he seemed so completely detached from his environment that he didn't notice it was raining. He just sort of went where everyone, wherever anyone pointed him to go. He never speaks. Um, people always comment on how he doesn't appear to age. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of the strange thing. Like, I, I thought that was kind of interesting, the way that he was effectively being portrayed almost as, like, this sort of... He felt like almost a blank slate. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what, because he's almost, he's like such a pure being that because all he knows and consumes is Shogi. Right. You know, this is sort of the, and I think what it's trying to show us is that this is sort of the path that Ray may be on. Like, and is because again, you know, we had this kind of uh, idyllic view of, of Soya before, because, you know, we were kind of seeing it from Ray's perspective, because, you know, he was fascinated by this guy who was, you know, this incredible genius, you know, he wanted to, like, one of the reasons he wanted to keep playing was because he wanted to be able to talk to this guy, just right. to have a conversation with him, and we're kind of seeing in this episode, would it even be possible to? Well, yeah, uh, and they finally show up, and they're standing next to each other, and the guy doesn't say anything, doesn't appear able or interested in saying anything, and Ray can't really, doesn't know how to respond to the situation. Right, exactly. They, they kind of convey that really interesting because it's just dead silence. It's almost, it's, there's like this, it's almost as if those silence would almost taint this moment. Yeah. Or like any, like any sort of like conversation with this guy would effectively be pointless. It would almost taint who he is. You right. almost can't, you can't touch him. It almost seems as if the show is trying to portray Soya as a kind of shogi Buddha. You know, this sort of saintly figure who doesn't get tainted by the world. Um, do, you, do you think that jives? Yeah, no, I definitely say, I, I would say so. I mean, it's interesting because the episode itself actually tries to convey him as being like, basically, like, the implication is that he's even less so of a, like, of like a holy figure or at least as a uh, in the sense of like on the side of what's righteous and just and almost as if though he's like a demon yeah a demon or an alien they use a lot of different words to describe him but whatever he is he's not human right. um <laughs> and so yeah i mean i think you're right i think it's intentional the way the show sets up this the uh, i guess the 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 final conflict being between shimada 
who represents, you know, Ray growing more relationships, having a community, um, being connected with people against Soya is sort of the opposite, the pure individual right. who only cares about Shogi. Um, so I think, you know, honestly, that that's that's where the show is going, is to present the, the two paths that Ray can take. Right, and I mean, what's interesting about that, too, is that uh, if Shimada win or if Shimada loses, that doesn't necessarily necessitate that Ray is naturally just going to jump onto Soya, because that's the way the show is structured. Like, victory doesn't necessarily have to mean that, you know, that, okay, now this is what Ray has to do. This is the person that Ray must follow. Right. I mean, it might be that by observing Shimada lose, he realizes that losing is okay, you know, in a way that yeah. he hasn't before. Like, maybe it's okay to just kind of take this as a means of living, you know, maybe it's okay to just keep constantly working towards something, rather than having to, uh, you know, have to just constantly devote your life, because he may just see how miserable Soya is for doing so. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I hope that Soya does get a little more characterization, though, moving forward. Right. Yeah, I, it's almost kind of... And I think the show is pretty good about doing that. Because, I mean, like, for example, Kyoko was, you know... We, we kind of saw her always as being this very villainous character. And, you know, we've learned to sympathize with her a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think the series is pretty good about establishing one view of a character before slowly easing us into... A more nuanced view. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I just hope they don't run out of time because we've only got you know, a few episodes left. Yeah, five, exactly. Five. five yeah, episodes? something like that. Yeah, yeah I think so. so. So, I mean, I I assume that this match between Soya and Shimada is going to take you know up at least near to the end of the show. Right. Yeah, I imagine so. I, I could see it maybe taking just, like, a couple more episodes, and then we just have some wrap-up. But uh, Shimada does have seven day, uh, games up against this guy. Well, it's best of seven, so... Yeah. Right, best of seven. So I, I'm having, I have a feeling that it's not it's going to last the full seven. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> so speaking of something that uh, is keeps lasting... Uh, not, not, not my best segue. <laughs> Good transition! Thank you. I like to keep it smooth and natural. Uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell me about All Out? Yeah, sure thing. Okay, so this episode was a fairly meaty game. Like, this, like, this was probably the most traditional, uh, like, sports battle episode that we've had in a while. Yeah. So, this was... A lot of the conflict came from the fact that uh, Jinko was starting to make ground against uh, Tenjiku. Yeah. Yeah, Tenjiku. And what was happening... Uh, <clears throat> basic, at first they were kind of holding their ground, but then eventually we got to see Issei score the first try against them, and that sort of freaked out uh, Renpei, who decided to try and make a... A drop goal, which is a field goal, essentially. It's kind of an on-the-fly field goal. Right. And while, the, you know, they did score the more points, this is starting to tear the team apart because Renpei made that decision on his own and he's not working with the team anymore. And that's starting to cause some uh, rifts amongst the group. And Suna is trying to kind of ease tensions here because he doesn't want the... Because the captain is getting really frustrated with Renpei and Renpei does not want to cooperate. 
and you know essentially the team is sort of falling apart and as it's falling apart they uh jinko subs in uh gion who's we finally get to see how like his general like super ability which is the fact that he is able to sweep people incredibly fast mm-hmm. uh and what happened uh because all because basically what the coach tells him is just like look i need you to keep your eyes on the ball and just go wherever the ball is mm-hmm. anyway uh the episode ends on a pretty happy note for uh for jinko because they managed to fake out uh, uh, Tenjiku with a with a wild punt. Uh, somebody goes for the ball. I think it's number fourteen. But Sekizan comes out of nowhere, almost anticipating the punt, and tackles uh, tackles him and gets the gets the ball and scores a try on his own. Yep. And then uh, we just see Re- uh, Renpei getting more and more toxic in the background, and the episode ends. Yeah. So this this looks pretty clearly like you know it's going to be a three episode arc against Tenjuku. Right. Um, I I don't know. I I like the the characterization of Renpei where he's an elite. Uh, he's an elite athlete who doesn't know how to be a teammate. Um, right. That's not like you know it's not the first time that's been in a sports anime, um, but it is. Uh, it is funny to see that, like, you know, the team is fine as long as they're winning, but as soon as they start losing, uh, Renpei starts criticizing everyone, and uh, they start, you know, they kind of split apart, and they don't care if he's the best player on the team, they just don't want him to be there, because he's toxic. Right, exactly. Like, because this is a guy who's essentially operating on his own because he's better than the rest of the team. It's like, I don't care who you are, you know, being told that you're worthless and not doing anything for the team, and I'm the only one who's going to be able to do anything for it. You know, I, I can see why it's, you know, sowing some seeds of hatred there. Yeah. Or at least some resentment there. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, that team felt like, hey, you know, we probably could have scored another try... If you hadn't just punt, if you hadn't done, gone for the goal instead, all you've done is just like give us fewer points, and now it's it's still easy enough for them to catch up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this episode did a pretty decent job of framing the central conflict without feel. I think maybe at times it was a little melodramatic with like Renpei's like dark aura. Yeah, totally. Like, standing in the background without, like, a, a hint of self-awareness about that. Uh, but I think overall, because I don't think Redpay is necessarily an evil person. Again, it's a team that's kind of being, that's kind of been made shift. Like, they, they've been kind of been making this team out of the players they can because it's a relatively new team. Right. And, you know, they, they just so happen to have gotten this really talented player. So... Can I ask you a question? Yeah, by all means. Okay. Uh, why do I care about the internal squabbles of Tenjiku High? <laughs> like, why Why does the show want me to care? I think what it's trying... It's, what they're doing is that they're trying to highlight um, the difference between uh, Jinko and... You, because we've seen everything that they've been through and everything... Uh, you know, that's kind of shaped this team as it is now. You know, we've gotten involved with their personal drama. 
now we're seeing it we're kind of seeing the inverse now we're starting to see a team that was maybe once like uh like jinko mm-hmm. like we're starting to see a team that still it still actually needs to form and I think that's kind of, and that's the big issue with Tenjiku. You know, they've kind of gotten by on talent without actually like any sort of real consultation. And I think we care about the we the only reason we care about them is to to highlight that difference between Jinko what they once were and what they are now. Especially because you know we have all these implications that they may have at one point been effectively a worse team uh, than what ten, like the same type of team that Jin uh, Tenjiku was, but also like just much worse. Well, yeah, I mean, they were similarly unable to work together as a team, but they didn't have an ace the way that Tenjika does. So right. they couldn't even compete. They just squabbled amongst themselves and didn't have any team unity. Right. And I think the reason why we care about that now, or why we would care about for that, is because it's it highlights the character growth of kind of the team of Jinko. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's interesting about it. Yeah. Yeah, and you can sort of see some parallels where their coach is, even though he can see that his team is falling apart and fighting, he doesn't do anything to resolve it, and he just puts the captain in charge and says, like, eh, you, you make the plays, you're in charge, he's sort of, he's very, very hands-off, which parallels Yoshida and the style he had, where eventually he just right. decided, like, well, these kids are going to be themselves, whatever, as long as they don't get me in trouble, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought in terms of... There, there's not a lot of meat to discuss thematically, but I thought in terms like, the way it presented the match was fun. And it, the especially those those two tries that you saw, the one that Issei scored and then the really dramatic one at the end that Sekizan scored were so intense. You know, they were really fun. Um, right. So I, I like the way that it's... It feels almost like the show has learned how to portray rugby as it's gone along. Because <laughs> it right. didn't... And, it, and, it's, and it's satisfying, too. It, it's learned how to portray rugby while also connecting it to the characters. Because, you know, there's no... You know, it's really satisfying to see Issei score that... Be the one who's to score that try. Yeah, of Because course. we've seen the struggle it took him to even get to this training camp. And do they make a huge deal about it? It's like, wow, we're so happy you managed to make it to this training camp, Issei. We weren't sure if you were going to be able to make it before. Like, you know, there's no line like that. Yeah, exactly. They're like, hey, Issei, doesn't this make you glad that you and your brother resolved your differences? Like, <laughs> no, they just say, good job, man. Um, yeah, like, like normal you... people would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it assumes that you understand why that's a satisfying moment. Because, yeah. you know, Issei, because of that struggle that Issei had to go through. Uh, with Sekizan, you know, it's great to actually see... Because we've seen him, like, actually lose a lot more than win. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting for for who's supposed to be kind of the brooding captain type. Yeah, he's uh, never really been successful. So right. it, it's fun to see him have this moment of realizing, oh my gosh, we're actually a decent team and I'm a part of it. Uh, which So you get to enjoy that with him when right. he celebrates a try. And then the, uh, just one more bit of praise I want to give it is I've, uh, I liked the scene where uh, the coach is explaining to Gion about what he was having to do. What I like about it is how simple he keeps it. Uh, first of all, because that fits for Gion's character. Because, you know, mm-hmm. he's not exactly a bright guy. He, you know, he needs very simple instructions as to what to do. Yeah. Not only that, what's nice about it is that because he, because we have an excuse for a simple explanation like that. 
so that we can better understand what it is that Gion is actually doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the show continues to execute well its job of making rugby understandable one step at a time. Um, where, you know, there's still, you don't necessarily totally understand all the positions, you don't understand all the strategy, but for the important moments, you understand why they're happening and who's doing it, you know? Yeah, and that's exactly. as much as you can ask for, really. Yeah, exactly. So, it was good. I'm excited yeah. to see how it concludes. Um, I hope that Renpei learns his lesson and can <laughs> become a better teammate, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of easy to see where this is going to go. Uh, that is a bit of a... It's a bit of an issue with the series, is that it, it can at times be a bit predictable in that regard. I mean, I don't think it's uniquely predictable, though. Like, that's sports anime in general. And the fact that if Jinko wins this, it'll be the first match they've ever won in the show, right. that's that's not typical. So, like, right. I'm going to exactly. give them credit. That's um, fair. That's fair. It's an earned victory. Yeah. Uh, so, speaking of n- earning things... Damn it! <laughs> Man, you're, you're killing it! I... In my mind... These transitions are good, <laughs> and then I say them out loud, and well, I realize I've said nothing. Here, I got one for you. Speaking of unearned victories, how about that tiger mask? Yeah, that's what I was. I think I was what I was going for. <laughs> um, yeah. So tiger, but I, I don't. I'm not sure if it even got a victory because well, nothing good happened. Um, as per usual with Tiger Mask, although it was a little more memorable than the last few weeks. Correct. Uh, So, Tiger Mask episode 18. Uh, Haruna gets a phone call from her friends, Candy Pair, Pair, who are, uh, the Japanese female wrestling duo. They tell her that they're gonna have a rematch against GWM soon, and they want her to come. And she says, okay... Uh, and also she's been making tiger masks as, like, merch for girls, for female wrestling fans. Whatever. Um. Uh, Matt, can you please use the proper term for what the female wrestling fans are called? Uh, you do it. Uh, uh, Pujoshi. Yeah. I, yeah. It's a Pujoshi. <laughs> I just could I couldn't say it out loud. Um, no, that's fair. And so Haruna goes to the match and uh so milk and mint are the the two members of candy pear and they're warming up uh for the fight and milk is running back and forth in the ring (laughs) and then she collapses and they take her away in an ambulance because she got appendicitis Came down with a sudden case of appendicitis. Yeah, which like, like normal people do. Well, I mean, that's how appendicitis happens. It just sort of happens, uh, and there's nothing you can do. But like, it is pretty random. Um, anyway, uh, Haruna volunteers to take Milk's place as a wrestler, and uh, of course, Mint is like, "What are you talking about? You're not a wrestler." And then Haruna flexes her abs. <laughs> That she apparently has, uh, and says, uh, you know, oh, oh, well, I've been working out with Tiger Mask's weight 
and uh, so I'm strong. And they're like, well, I guess you're a wrestler because you have ab muscles. Uh, so she gets an outfit. It's like basically a yellow version of Milk's outfit, and she wears one of her own tiger masks. And sure. Yeah, exactly. And uh, goes into the match as Spring Tiger, which is her wrestling name. Um, but who's on the other side? It's it's Queen, who is from the GWM team, and also Miss X. She herself decides to wrestle in order to put Haruna in her place. Um, she wrestles as X-Woman. Um, they have, like, this extended sequence between, and most of the matches between Haruna and Miss X, which is weird because neither of them are wrestlers, but the actual wrestlers don't think they need to intervene and you know wrestle but right uh harana focuses on attacking miss x's legs and she does this over and over putting her in very complex leg locks and uh ultimately she's able to break her down to the extent that uh when mint eventually substitutes back in she's able to uh pin miss x and that's that's the end of it. And Miss X decides that she's never going to wrestle again. And Spring Tiger is born as the the hottest new diva in Japan. Oh man, what an episode! It it was this episode was more fun than the last two ones. It's not good. Oh no, it's never good. No, it's never good. But this one again, it was more on the level of like the Mister Bigfoot episode. Yeah. Uh, where it's more about, uh, it's kind of silly. Like, I guess it kind of works if you're, like, a ten-year-old. Uh, there's a lot that doesn't make sense. Uh, for example, that when uh, Miss X and uh, Harna start fighting in the ring, they kick each other once and then tag out. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, there's also the fact that... Uh, you, you did somewhat... Okay, so the whole reason that Harna puts on the tiger mask is because she needs to conceal her identity because she's going to be super afraid that uh, uh, that uh, Kentaro is going to notice that, you know, he's going to be like, what, what were you doing in the ring? So she puts on this mask to kind of conceal her identity. He's going to know who you are. Yeah, I mean, if you're like, wearing a tiger mask... Like, how is that actually concealing who you are? Everybody, like, uh, he's gonna know. He has to know. <laughs> well, you'd think. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess it, he's not actually gonna notice? Well, I mean, also, those are the exact masks that right. she showed him earlier in the episode and said, yeah. these are the masks I'm making for girls. And he said, whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wonder it, if he it, would make the connection that... Oh, the girl who looks exactly like Harana and is wearing the mask that Harana made is Harana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not only that, but, you know, otherwise, you know, she's got, like, the same hair and everything. She's not, like, hiding her hair at all. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It's it's pretty silly. I, I was kind of amused by how early in the episode we got just a brief section of Miss X working out and actually seeing that she was ridiculously buff. Of course, and we're, you know, at the moment, we're like, why is this happening? It's like, oh, because she's going to be a wrestler this episode. And for just this episode. And, I mean, the whole, I I don't understand why she decided to get in the ring in the first place, outside of the fact that it wouldn't be believable for Haruna to beat 
literally anybody else. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that's the thing is, so Haruna explains that she's capable of doing all this because she's been working out in the garage, basically, yeah. with uh, Naoto's gear. Um, but at what point did she learn any wrestling? Though? Like, all of these complicated Indian holds, apparently. Like, the the t- like the Indian leg lock or the li- uh, Indian torso lock. Yeah. Um, like, where does she learn these moves? Uh, and it's like, it's, it's still not terribly believable that she could beat Miss X of all people. Yeah, I mean, um, she shouldn't be able to beat anyone. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Miss X is even a real stretch here because at the very least, she she works around wrestlers, and you assume she knows like something about wrestling. I guess. I and don't just know. physically, she's much larger than Haruna is, and so yeah, no, it, it's because the show refused to justify why Haruna would have any skills whatsoever. It, it makes no sense. It was fine to as a spectacle, but it was really dumb. Yeah, no, it was really silly. On the plus side, I mean, the match itself was fine. We had a bit more of a technical resolution than anything we've ever gotten in Tiger Mask, which is kind of funny. The fact that, uh, <laughs> you know, the fact that we actually had some payoff for Harna constantly focusing on Miss X's legs. Yeah. Uh, actually paying off because she's got her in that hold. And eventually her legs give out because she just can't take the, uh... Because, you know, Harna wore out her legs so much that now she can't stand. So, you know, on that regard, I guess it was mildly satisfying. Yeah, It was also kind It was also, I mean, a little funny to see her... Like, as soon as the real wrestler came in to kind of fight her, to kind of just see her being, like, tossed around, essentially... Yeah, I mean, again, it makes no sense why either of the real wrestlers wouldn't just sub in and win the match immediately fighting an amateur. Yeah, you know, exactly. Why would they let it get to that point? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, apparently. And um, uh, so here's the other interesting thing about it is that... Uh, well, because the episode ends with everybody being like, oh, everybody just loved that match. Everybody wants a rematch between Spring Tiger and uh, X-Woman. Uh, second of all, here's the other thing. How does anybody not realize that Miss X is X-Woman? Yeah, she wasn't like, even wearing a mask. Yeah, she was... Well, the funny thing is, when she's in the ring, she actually does wear a mask. So, I guess, well, but I mean, otherwise her outfit was just slightly different. Well, and, I mean, Fukuwara Mask, who, of course, is announcing the match, uh, refers to the fact that Miss X is X-Woman. You know, oh, okay. He, he, so he makes... The- I don't. I don't think it's supposed to be a secret necessarily. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, it's bad, but slightly less bad than it has been recently. Uh, I did uh, one. Just one minor thing as well is that uh, there was one kind of funny line early on when uh, Tiger Mask is being asked how his trip was. He did mention that the b- bus is big and comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's such a dumb character. Like yeah, he's the worst. He's an awful, awful main character. Yeah, like that's there's no characterization. There's like, why would I care? Why is that a comment that any more normal person would make? Oh, uh, it, it's a comfortable bus, and it's big. It's I mean, real big. Yeah, I got two seats all to myself. It's freaking sweet. <laughs> like what? To be are fair, you? if I was riding a, bu- a bus cross country and I had that ability, I'd probably be pretty happy about it. 
I guess, but like, uh, anyway, it's it's a dumb concept for getting him out of the picture anyway, but um, right. I, I don't really want to dwell on this. Fair enough, fair enough. So, <laughs> do you want to start dwelling on Minami Kamakura High School Girls Cycling Club? <sighs> Not if I can help it, but we might as well. Okay, so... There's not a lot of meat to this episode. Uh, as per usual. As per usual. So Hiromi gets a free makeshift bike from the manager just because, sure, because they bought two other bikes from her. So she was like, okay, well, I'll just build you a new bike out of, like, old parts then, I guess. Yeah. Um, they get their uniforms in, and they're very form-fitting. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, apparently... Uh, Everybody is at... So, they, they start the night criterion. Uh, and apparently, everyone is there. They have a point... They they point out that every club is actually participating in this ride. And they all seem to have road racers. Well, and, they, they don't all have road racers, actually. They all have... Oh, bikes. yeah. They, they, I forgot. They did point out that a lot of them do have mommy bikes. So, that's yeah. my bad. Okay. But anyway, so just before it's about to begin, uh, let's see, uh, Higa's bike malfunctions and she falls over and, uh, Hiromi, yeah, Hiromi goes back to check her out and make sure that she's all right. And then all the girls get together and then they decide to ride. They decide to restart and, uh, ride on their own. Like as a team, as a unit. Yeah. So... Uh, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it was unpleasant. Yeah. Um, just, like, the, mostly on the level that it, it makes, it makes no sense. Um, so, yeah. like, the, the, the biggest one was, like you said, uh, they, they try and have the, the members of every club at Minami Kamakura High School are all doing this night race, which is being hosted at their high school. Um, and the reason for it, it's not because it's required, uh, but it's because apparently all the members of all the different sports teams have been stealing members from each other. So they've been, like, poaching members, like, as if someone can't, you know, it, like the kendo club has been taking members from the basketball team and vice versa. And they've gotten so up in arms about it that the principal decided that the way to resolve it would be everyone doing this bike race together. Sure. And then the winners would get to keep the members because that's how membership works. I guess it's kind of like arbitration where you get to, where somebody comes, so you have a third party come in and be like, okay, so that's going to be how it's decided. And you guys can't argue. I mean, I guess, but... But a bike race. Like, yeah, and, no, and, and it, Why would everyone agree to that? Yeah, and then, like, why is the orchestra there? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like... And why would they bring their instruments? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I love the idea that, you know, the kendo club is stealing their cellists. And they're like, oh, well, I couldn't decide between playing cello and being on the kendo team, you know, because they're so similar. <laughs> uh, so I guess we have to do this bike race to determine whether I play cello or compete in kendo. What? Yeah, I mean, why? Yeah, and like, then they, I... they try to establish how 
the bicycle club has like everyone has their number uh, because they're a cycling club. So everyone wants to make sure they lose because they uh, have bikes. I don't know. I, like, why would they care? Like, yeah. I don't understand that. Like, because this club just formed. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, how does anyone even know? I, I just, I don't even know if the club is technically formed yet, even. Exactly. And it has four first years in it. Like, who yeah. cares? Yeah, like, they don't care. Nobody's going to care about the cycling club. Like, oh, yeah, that that club where those four girls want to ride bikes together? Yeah, yeah, they're a real threat. We, we care about beating them. Yeah. I mean, okay, so I want to move on because there's, a, there's a, a bunch of issues. So one was <laughs> the the whole conflict here is that they started out in the first group, but Higa couldn't start riding. And it wasn't because, if you look closely, it wasn't because there was something wrong with her bike. It was because she couldn't clip her uh, her shoes into her pedals. Right, and that's the part that makes the least sense, because she's the one with the most experience. Yeah, it's not a complex action. Like, yeah, you have to figure it out the first time you do it. But once you do it, it's effectively muscle memory, and she's there just, like, kicking her pedals, like, well, I want to go. Um, which is the experience of no one. Um, yeah, like, it's not that difficult. And not only that, but it's like, that would have made at least... I... I'm not saying it would have been good, but I would have believed it It was if it was Hiromi. Yeah, exactly. Like, Higa's the only one who knows how to ride a bike. But she's the one being helped along. And then she gets knocked over, they all come back. And on one level, it's like, ooh, you gotta put them at a disadvantage. But they're really not at a disadvantage. If everyone else out there is riding mommy bikes, you know, these sort of fixed-gear, uh, inefficient bicycles... Right. These girls with actual road racers are going to win no matter how bad a shape they're in. Because, <laughs> like, th you know, the amount of energy you have to put in for a road racer to go the same speed as a mommy bike is negligible. So, like, as long as they actually complete the race, they will win without any challenge whatsoever. You know, it is impossible for a fixed gear bike to keep up with a road racer. Right. Um, but so I don't know how, why they're trying to set this up like it's even a competition. It's not. Um, like, and I mean, do they have to win? Because again, this is all about making an experience and getting the results. You so, know. Yeah. Why do we care? I don't like I, because I don't technically know. victory isn't needed, but I guess the results are going to be if they win this. Yeah, uh, that's how they get the results to stay a club. Um, uh. One one thing I would like to point out, kind of moving away from that just a little bit, is that there is this one really random bit of information that they give us at the beginning of the episode where Tomoe's family owns a liquor store. <laughs> yeah. And then apparently uh, Fiune's family apparently frequents it. Was there any point to that? I don't know. Because um... what is it set up? Like, because they spend like three, four minutes talking about this. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, wh what is the purpose of this discussion? What are we setting up about the family? Like, about these families? That they're interconnected, apparently? Why do I care? Like, that's not important. Yeah. I guess I guess it's because, oh, look at... Again, looking at this, like, it's a PR video for Kamakura. It's like, oh, look how interconnected this town is, where even the rich people will deal with the pores. 
I mean, I don't know. I think, yeah, maybe it's just supposed to make it look like a tight-knit community um, and that also has good sake. Like, yeah, let's, sure. let's just take a couple minutes to acknowledge how good the sake is in Kamakura. Let's have these high school girls talk about how good yeah, the sake is. Yeah, just discuss that about how they're... Oh, don't worry, they don't drink it. It's their parents who do. Mm-hmm. But, but they know about it. Yeah. And apparently Fuyune's parents talk about how they frequent the shop because that's something they talk about in front of Fuyune, I guess? Well, also, like, how does she even know? Because she has a driver and they have servants. So who's buying it? And is she talking to, like, the people that her family employs about where they buy the alcohol she can't drink? Like, <laughs> there's so many questions. It doesn't um, make any sense. No, it doesn't. Um, the the last uh, the last thing that I I wanted to bring up is uh, the the bike store manager Corone, right? Um, who is the worst uh, and Naturally. is still still wearing cat ears and a tail. Sure, just she's just gonna wear that now because that's a thing. And uh, it's, they're just setting her up even more as, like, this, lo like, Lolita character where, you know, she's making yakisoba, but they have a shot from behind showing how she has to stand on a box to make yakisoba. Right. Like, yeah, and how she's, like, wearing bloomers back there with, like, not actually, like, any real pants. Yeah, like, why is any of this necessary? Um, of course, Tomoe's little sister freaks out because turns out Corona's an adult hubba what Bro. like so how many episodes in a row are they gonna repeat that awful stupid joke oh no i i know we're gonna get it as well with the foreign student who's gonna inevitably join we're, uh, we're gonna hear that too we're gonna I get know. that joke honestly sandy mcdougall is <laughs> the only thing keeping me in any way interested in this show like i need i need some sandy mcdougall this show, Matt, like, let's just wrap up and move on, but, like, this show is halfway over. Yeah, I know. And we still haven't gotten the full club yet. Yeah, they, have, they haven't gotten all their members. They have just started the first event they've ever done together. And like this, where, where do we go from here? Like, this episode, again, everything that was in this episode could have been wrapped up five minutes. Easy. Mm -hmm. Like, we could have been, like, this should have been episode three. Yeah, we've had about two and a half episodes of content so far. Yeah, yeah, effectively. And not even good content! Well, and it doesn't help that each episode is three minutes shorter than it would be because they have to have a commercial for a pop idol group. <laughs> band with AOP. This time, this week we learned how to fix gears, which, you know, it's an important... Or sorry, yeah. fix the chain. Yeah, if uh, your which, chain you know, slips off. Yeah, and I mean, you know, whatever, it's important information, that's fine. But why did why? I mean, why is the question? And I don't know. Why, why did the why did their helmets change from yellow to white? Well, yeah. So all the other racers had matching helmets, and they were all yellow in the first shot. And then you cut back, and they started racing, and all their helmets were white. But then you saw a second group that came later, and all their helmets were yellow. So it was very confusing whose helmets were yellow, whose helmets were white, why they all had matching helmets in the first place. Right. Um, Anyway, it was uh, bad. So, speaking of something else that's bad, killer transition. There you go, uh, got it. Long Riders episode 11. So, I want to just sort of keep these back-to-back -back since they're both terrible uh, girls cycling Definitely. shows. Um, so, episode 11, 
uh, it starts off with your favorite character and mine, Sayeki. Who's Sayeki? <laughs> <laughs> Some random girl in one of Amy's classes who sometimes talks about how biking seems cool. Uh, <laughs> she talks to Amy and expresses that the Autumn Ride, uh, a biking event, sure seemed cool. And Amy said, yep. <laughs> Uh, moving on, <laughs> with no connection to anything else, uh, Amy is then uh, hanging out and getting lunch with all her friends, and they talk about what how brevets work and how that they need to. Amy needs to keep training even harder if she's ever going to do a brevet, and they decide they want to do a night ride so she can learn how to ride at night because that's something you have to do for long rides. Um, right. And then they all go around the table and talk about how much they've all changed and love riding together as a team because they're such good friends. Uh, well, of course. Yeah. Uh, Amy shows up for this night ride, and she is shocked and confused by the existence of reflective vests and <laughs> flashlights. Um, she is handed a reflective vest, and she asks, What's this reflective vest? Uh, and Yayoi tells her that it's a reflective vest. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they have to give her all the lights, and Aoi has far too many lights, and they make fun of her for how prepared she is, and she spends the rest of the episode worried that she's a nuisance because of how prepared she is, and it's dumb. Um, sure. On the way down a hill, at some point, uh, Amy's headlamp uh, dies, and she gets scared. And then Yayoi comes by and gives her a new battery, and she's fine. And then at the end, they manage to get... They, they do their 100 kilometers through the night, and they see the sunrise, and they go to a spa, and then they all fall asleep. The end. Yay. Yeah. So, how do you how do you feel like this compared to the, the first 10 episodes of Long Riders? So, after Minami Kamakura, this is a really hard series to start like, feeling any sort of ire towards. Like, it's not good. It's not no. interesting. No. It doesn't frustrate me like Minami Kamakura does. It's just sort of there. And you know what? Like, there, this episode did have one scene I actually rather liked. Which was uh, when they're at the night ride and uh, Amy's uh, riding along... You have that kind of shot of her, you know, of like what's in front of her. You know, you, you get a very limited view because of her light. And then all of a sudden that branch pops up and she crashes into it and it's very silent outside of the crash. And she stops and all you can hear is just her constant, is like her very heavy breathing. Like, you know what? I'm going to give him a little something. That was actually a little scary. Yeah, just no, I agree. I, I liked that. Yeah, that like, because you also get, like, the shot of the, like, after she does that, you get the shot of the cliff, and then you just hear her heavy breathing. You know, it's like, okay, it's not, it's, it does a very good job of capturing what's, like, that sensation in the moment of when something like that happens. Are you in any real danger? Probably not. But, you know, that sort of, that jostling. Yeah, exactly. And that sort of reaction yeah, you, to the... Yeah, you run out, you run over a branch out of nowhere, You're and you're going downhill, and you don't feel like you're in control of yourself... Um, yeah, that's scary. And I was thinking, like, man, I'd be scared. You know, if I was in yeah. that situation, that would be terrifying. Yeah, you know, you, you get to see, like, you don't, you get to see, like, Amy actually, like, legitimately react like a person. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my god, I almost ran over that. You know, there's no dialogue there, but, you know, the breathing communicates a lot there about her state. And you know what? Okay, 
Fine scene. I like that. It got undermined a little bit when Yayoi pulled up and then all of a sudden she's got the cute anime girl. Ah, I'm so scared face. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I, I I feel like the animation studio involved, I do feel like they're doing the best with what they can with the material. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's not much interesting material there. Right. Um... The, and, I mean, I say that, but then we've also got some real rough scenes here with the CGI models. Yeah, it was, uh, it was ugly. It, it was pretty funny, but, like, for example, when you, uh, when Amy p- pulls up for the night, you get to see all of the girls still basically painted in still, and then Amy approach as a CG model, and it's kind of this weird, almost, like, alien speaking to, like, the actual <laughs> people. <laughs> She totally, she looked so weird. Yeah, it, you know she, re- she just didn't belong. You know what it reminds me of a little bit? Like, this is going to sound really weird. It reminds me a little bit of Courage the Cowardly Dog, when they would do, like, weird brief stints of, like, terrible CGI to kind of, as, like, a shock value thing, <laughs> okay. just to kind of get you a little bit scared. Like, it reminded me of that just a little bit, because of just how completely unnatural it was. Man, that's a deep cut. All right. <laughs> the, uh... Make sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out to Courage the Cowardly Dog! Yeah, I was just gonna say, make sure to include the uh, time mark for the Courage the Cowardly Dog discussion in the in the uh, episode <laughs> notes. Yeah, by all means. Uh, no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I the, the one other scene I liked was at the very end of the episode, where they get to the town, their destination... And uh, the sun is coming up, and they all sort of, like, stand there and enjoy it. And they say, like, hey, you know, this whole town is waking up, but we're the only people who can appreciate the sunrise in this exact way. Because, you know, we had to work for it. We had to try really hard to get, you know, like, that. And I'm like, yeah, if I was riding all night and I saw the sunrise, that would be, like, a crazy, meaningful and exciting sunrise in a way that a normal sunrise isn't. So I'm like, yeah, I get that. That was, that's cool. And I think that would be fun. Um... You know what, at the very least, you feel like they at least did something and got something out of it. Yeah, exactly. And like, you can't say that for a lot of the episodes of Long Riders. Lovely, or, and, or like Minami Kamakura, where basically ever every conflict is resolved with a sort of half, okay, don't worry, somebody else did it, we're good. Like, no, we actually get to see them ride and mm. they get a little something for it. Is it terribly interesting? Not really, no. But it's... I can almost appreciate the formula yeah, a little bit I mean... I, I did think it was kind of weird that all of a sudden that the other girls, uh, specifically Hinako, suddenly wanted to tease Amy by making sure she was uncomfortable with the overnight yeah. ride. Like, why would or you like, surprise her like she was that? getting That's like... what got me, is like, if you're going to be riding your bikes all night... Shouldn't you have given her a heads up so she could, like, prepare for that? Right. I mean, and I guess what their idea was, like, you know, if we tell her she's going to be too scared to do it. But it's like, has that really ever been the case with Amy? You guys even just got through talking about yeah. how much she's grown. Kind of kind of in a weird, like, ham-fisted way of, hey, have you guys noticed how Amy has grown as a person <laughs> and as a character? Yes, I have noticed her growth. Also, we are a good team and we have fun writing. Yes, I also think that. Yeah, like, yeah, you didn't really do anything to show us that yeah. series. You I mean, know? Like, that, that's the thing. Come on, guys. so the the contrast between these two shows with Manami Kamakura versus Long Riders is 
Long Riders is not as well structured. Um, like Minami Kamakura is dumb, uh, but it knows what it's doing, and it's clearly paced out all its plot points and everything connects. And like, there's some reason for everything happening, even though the internal logic is stupid. Um, for Long Riders, right. like a lot of stuff just happens. You know, it doesn't seem like it's connected to anything. Yeah. A lot of random characters are introduced without any real arc to them or any continuity or any relevance um stuff just happens uh sometimes that stuff is good yeah and or less bad in in manami kamakura like right it, it, it progresses on a pretty linear track and everything has some relation to everything else it's just none of it's good <laughs> right it just none of it makes any sense. Like, but you can you can see that there is an internal logic there. There is a plot. Yeah, there's at least a plot there. progression. Um, right, and I mean, I guess in Long Raiders, the most we get is hey, we had a discussion of hey, fleshes are rock are even harder than brevets, so we've got that task we still yeah, need exactly, to take care but of. Exactly, but they're not going to do either is, of them because this show is almost over. Right. Well, didn't they technically do a fle- uh, well? No, I mean, I think they were saying or... that the autumn ride didn't didn't count. Uh, that wasn't actually oh, okay. a brevet. That was just a, a long ride because, like, brevets are multi-day experiences. Right. And uh, one final thing, though. Hey, did you notice that they made a reference to Amy's yeah, job this episode? Weird. Yeah, I know, right? Like, it's just like, hey, right, Amy has a job, a creepy, weird job. But hey, you know what? It pays the bills, and it's she does seem to have something of a yeah. life outside of this group. Um, and they also made a reference to Saki <laughs> eating a lot. Couldn't go an episode without that. Well, yeah, naturally. Yeah, well, I mean, that is her character, um, so... But, anyway, so I'm looking forward to seeing how the, the, the thrilling conclusion of Long Riders next week. Um, yeah. So, very briefly, as we wrap up, uh, we did see season five? Uh, yeah, yeah, season five right. of TQ. Alright, so, season five. Uh, there was there was only one multi-episode arc this season. It was the, the first two episodes <laughs> in which the the gang right. goes to Cambodia uh, and sure why not um, some some highlights from that was uh, that they they kept eating McDonald's even though they wanted to eat lo- local cuisine they kept ending up in different McDonald's <laughs> uh, um, their tour guide uh, kept taking selfies and deciding to charge tourists 5,000 yen for them. And they're like, no, you're supposed to take pictures of the tourists, not yourself. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> the, the highlight for me, which um, was at, at the end of the second episode where their, their tour guide... <laughs> their, their tour guide uh, asked them whether... They enjoyed the effing sights, and they don't. They don't. They they censor it, but it's very clear that's what he's saying. Like, did you enjoy the effing sights? Um, which, it, for some reason, in the moment, just threw me. And yeah, I know because it, it's like, what an extreme reaction, I guess. Like, yeah. I I did appreciate the fact that Michael, the uh, the boy from their English lessons. Was also their translator in Cambodia, but he was going by Thong yeah, now. Yeah, and he just spoke Japanese the whole time. Uh, yeah, basically. Uh, there was one other thing that was really funny to me, too, just about the art, was if you noticed, all the uh, all the scenery of the ruins was, like, their rough sketches for the uh, for the background. They didn't actually, like, finish yeah. the art for it. 
Because you can still see, like, the outlines and, like, the sketches and, like, the points where they had to... That you can still see the parts yeah. that they didn't clean up. And I th- I'm pretty sure that was intentional. Yeah. Um, so that, that, was, that was a pretty funny couple episodes. Um, possibly my favorite episode yet in this series was episode 55, where... Uh, uh, Kane <laughs> was riding her bike to school, and she she ran into a telephone right. pole, and she told everyone about it. Um, and uh, Marimo decided that they had to declare vengeance, and and so they, they went back, and uh, Mar Marimo decided to challenge the telephone pole, and she punched it and broke her fingers. And uh, Kane decided to attack it with a headbutt and started bleeding. Um, and eventually Yuri tries to, to reason with the telephone pole, uh, and by that time everyone else is bored and they want to move on, uh, the, the telephone pole then consoles Yuri and tells her to keep fighting, um, and Kane gets back on her bike and runs into a guardrail, and they just declare vengeance on the guardrail, and just something, something about, like, the, the visuals of her constantly running into inanimate objects and getting angry at them, uh, was just really, really top-tier content. <laughs> uh, right. What? Um, so something I uh, sorry something I wanted to touch on real quick as well. Uh, there are uh, so something I've noticed is a bit of a theme with the openings recently is that every opening has a slight focus on one mm-hmm. of the different girls uh, since the first season. So uh, the second season had the focus on uh, Nasuno. Third season had a, a little bit on Yuri. That's probably the biggest stretch. Last season was definitely Konoe. And then this season, the uh, the opening focus was definitely on Marimo. I'm not entirely sure what I gather from that, outside of the fact that it's slightly funny. Like, it's just this sort of, like, weird joke that they're never going to address that, unless you're, mm-hmm. like, paying attention. Um, and then the other thing that... This is maybe my favorite title yet, and I'm not 100% certain why, which was uh, John Q with Senpai. Because, so, oh, I had I've, to I've look that it. one up. Yeah. Oh, you've actually seen John Q? Okay, wow. Uh, because, yeah, I was just going to bring up... It's like, I don't know why that's so funny to me, that they're referencing just a decently, like, a, at the time, decently successful box office hit. Like, not, like, yeah. ridiculously, like, like uh, famous. And it gained slight notoriety for having Hillary Clinton in it giving a speech about healthcare reform. And that's literally all that's notable. Yeah, about I mean, the movie. I think it's just that it was in a hospital, and they went to a hospital in that episode. Well, yes, of course. I did appreciate the fact that the that the that Kanoe's grandma was uh, B. Chang the rapper. <laughs> yeah. I liked that she was getting Tommy John <laughs> surgery, um, which you know, if you know, is basically a surgery that only exists for baseball pitchers. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay. I so didn't even it's know basically that. it's an elbow repair surgery for um, when okay. uh, it, it's a com- like a somewhat common injury for pitchers where they they will tear their UCL, which is a ligament in their elbow, um, which in- right. enables them to throw overhand basically. Um, and so for yeah, so for anyone's grandma to be getting Tommy John is super weird because f- basically the only people that get Tommy John are athletes and mostly baseball players. Um, so, but and then of course at the end of the episode, it turns out her mother, her grandmother, is a baseball player. Uh, so I thought I thought that was funny too. Oh, um, <laughs> like 
Um, and then, uh, real quick as well, I got a real hard laugh out of the fact that they, in order to sneak into the other school to spy on the opposing tennis team, they had to form a crowd of extras so yeah. that they could actually sneak in. And then eventually at the end of the episode that they themselves got caught up in the crowd as one of the, just the <laughs> random extras. Also, was the fact that that team was flying a kite meant to be a, re- uh, a reference to the first season? Like, was that something that they did? I think it was in, just like, evidence episode? that they were, like, the other teams, the other tennis teams were also just, like, screwing around. And that there wasn't anyone to scout. I thought right. I thought it was, it was funny as sort of, like, a comparison to classic, you know, sports anime tropes where they need to learn about their rival schools, but their rival school doesn't care about tennis either. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, because I kind of got this, because what I got from that was that they were basically, like, apparently that there are other tennis clubs that are around that are basically exactly yeah. like this group of girls that are a bunch of weirdos and, like, have no idea what they're doing and are basically able to defy <laughs> the laws of physics. Like, that's just part of part yeah. of being part of the tennis team. I like team. that. The, the last episode I want to bring up is uh, 57, where they decide they want to bake potatoes in the park. <laughs> and the... Th- <laughs> and they keep tr- well yeah that was the, the thing that i liked was that for some reason Konaway's whole motivation is postponing it so she tries to sabotage every time they bake potatoes and um <laughs> uh, eventually they finally get everything going and then it rains and Konaway interjects hell yeah let's postpone again um which that that kind of laugh at me because <laughs> i just i just love the idea that her the the most fun part about baking potatoes to her is postponing baking potatoes which you know kind of speaks uh speaks somewhat true to reality like i mean really when you is it is the idea of doing something like a little bit more fun than yeah, actually totally. doing it we've all been there and i, and I mean i don't want to get too deep into you know the meaning mm-hmm. of tq but you know it's like i i think that's kind of where no, the okay. joke was coming from um but uh yeah and then, uh, yeah, I noticed that they were just doing more totally. callbacks this season, like, but yeah, so I think we're starting to get to the point in the series where they're start where we're going to start seeing a lot more running gags, because we had a lot more episodes as well with uh, Tomorin mm-hmm. and Kondo. Uh, it's so much so that one of the openings actually replaced <laughs> two of the girls with those yeah. two characters. Yeah, with, with those yeah and the baker showed up, of course, again, you know, like... They have a lot of, of and, you know, like we mentioned in the Cambodia episodes, Michael, the English student. Um. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was funny, too, that there was actually a gag in the episode, which was episode 54 with Tomarin and Con, uh, Kondo, where she has a, where Kondo brings out the bulldozer she had in season four that she just had to happen to lying <laughs> around in her pocket. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Um. I think that pretty much wraps us up. I, uh, I I thought this was it was a fun season of TQ. I like that we end with TQ because that's a whole lot more fun than the the three shows that have preceded it this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna argue. I'm not gonna argue with that. Yeah, I I generally look forward to TQ more than really. Outside of the good shows, I'm generally looking forward to covering TQ or yeah, at least watching it. All right. Cool. Well, uh, cool. Do you have I anything else? I think the only thing that? I have left to provide is hitting the credits. Oh, well, I'll no, go ahead I'll and do, do so, so then. Okay. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. 
You can follow Koshiancast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.